Today's episode is inspired by a reader's comment on my website to a fairly old post titled, I don't want to care what you do. Kind of a provocative title, I know. The whole topic today is around networking. I don't know about you, but when I hear the topic network, I just kind of get this kind of, this kind of, (laughs) this kind of just, I don't know, disgusting, revolting kind of bodily response to, you know, someone say, hey, would you like to go to a networking event? No, thanks. Although I would say my attitude has changed gradually over time, but with some help and some work I did with a coach around this. So some of that will inform this. Others is just my own experience and what I think works. So this blog post was riffing on a quote that I had taken from a book titled Everything That Remains, a memoir by the minimalists. Those two people being Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. It's one of those books that the reading is, or the writing is just super clear and several moments, several profound thoughts about stuff and our lives and what matters. So this particular section that I was quoting from, um, actually, this is the quote. But let's think about the question for a moment. What do you do? In reality, it's such a broad inquiry that any answer would suffice. What do I do? I do a lot of things. I drink water. I eat food. I write words sloppily onto little yellow legal pads. Once you scrape away its cheap gold plating, however, we find a series of noxious inquisitions leaking beneath the surface. Sadly, what we're asking when we posit this question, albeit unknowingly, is how do you earn a paycheck? How much money do you make? What's your socioeconomic status? And based on that status, where do I fall on the socioeconomic ladder compared to you? Am I a rung above you? Below you? How should I judge you? Are you even worth my time? And so that got me to thinking... Uh, because I had an experience where my family was camping and we met another family and our kids instantly had fun playing together. And so we spent some time getting to know each other. And it was my reflection that I left as we both went home. I had no idea what they did for a living or how they made money and realized that it really didn't matter. And so that prompted and this is all with her permission. So Laura Dreyer, thanks Laura, left a comment on on this post, and this is what she said. Hi John, I really like this idea. How do you fit it with the concept of networking? On the one hand, it feels very humanizing, and on the other, seems like it could impede coming across opportunities professionally. Based on that, I interacted with her a little bit more to get a little more context and to understand where she might be coming from. Ironically, I asked her what kind of work she does (laughs) because I wanted to at least understand her context when it comes to networking. And so here's that context before I kind of go into my whole thoughts around networking. Laura writes, I'm a freelance illustrator and visual artist, so a lot of my work depends on making connections with potential clients. I also listen to The Minimalist Podcast, and it's important to me that I maintain my view of humans as having value just for being alive. 
not for how they can benefit me. However, it does seem that a lot of work that comes my way does come through people I've personally met. For example, a friend of a friend turned out to be a graphic designer who connected me to a freelance opportunity with her employer when I was looking for more work. Having her know me personally definitely gave the employer trust in me and expedited the process of being hired. A lot of advice I've read says utilize your network to maintain and grow your business, and it can feel difficult to know how to care about people as humans when also viewing them as potential clients or networking connections. So thanks again, Laura, for providing more context and asking your question to begin with. Here's what I think about networking. Here's my experiences and, and where all this goes for me. The first place I would start is what are your motives and goals for networking? And do they have to be only one thing? In other words, can you have multiple motives and goals for networking? I believe the answer is yes. If you're simply going to a networking event, and I think a lot of this is mindset, a lot of this is consciously approaching an event with a particular mindset that I think can be a collection of mindsets. So here's how I'd play this out, I guess. If you're going to, I'm going to make this up because I don't know anything about being an artist, but I'm assuming that artists have galleries and you go to gallery openings and, or I've heard of gallery openings, but I've never been to one. Uh, <laughs> so I'm assuming, let's, let's just say for sake of example, you're going to a gallery opening. Before you go to that event, you have a conversation with yourself that says, go something like, okay, how can I go to this gallery opening? How can I give away as many business cards as possible? so that people know about me. How can I talk to as many people about what I'm doing and that I'm looking for work? And how can I make sure that I talk to as many people as possible and get my name out there? I think we've all met that person at a networking event and it's kind of gross. So, <laughs> so, so yes, if your pure motive for going to an event is how can everyone else help me? I think that shows. And I, I said you, I'm not thinking, I'm just in general, the, you know, if, if we are putting ourselves out there in a way to the world or the people we're interacting with, people smell that stuff. People totally smell that stuff, especially when someone leads with like, here's my business card and this is who I am. I don't ever recommend that. You can tell when people are at events and it's all about them. So what I'm advocating here is both, both and. I firmly believe that we can put ourselves out there fully, like it sounds like you've kind of done, and be interested in other people at the same time. And I think that we can do both. And I think where this starts is being genuinely interested and curious about other people and setting aside getting business or connecting with enough people as being the immediate takeaway. In other words, I think it can become a natural byproduct of being curious about other people and meeting other people and finding out about them. And in that process, if there's some resonance or some level of connection, 
it will naturally come back to you and what you do and how you might help them. I think there's also times when we have to assert ourselves and consciously put it out there too. So I think there's a place for, yes, genuinely caring about other people. Who is this person? What makes them tick? What are they interested in? Uh, What do they like to do for fun? What are they excited about? What are their crazy side projects that most people will guess that they never do or that they don't work on or that they have an interest in? So I'm going to jump into the John's tactical approach to networking events and then um, go in a slightly different direction. So first of all, kind of said at the beginning, know why you're going. Be clear about that and have multiple reasons for going. I want to meet some new people. Why do you want to meet some new people? Well, I need some more work. I need some more business. I need to expand the circle of people that I know. So I know that will lead to more business. Okay. I also want to, maybe I'll meet a new friend. Maybe I'll connect with someone that's interested in the same things that I am that, you know, we could have a fun conversation about them and me and I'll make a new friend. In terms of, you know, knowing why you're going, It might also go with certain expectations and be conscious about them. I've had some of the best connections and surprising interactions when I wasn't expecting anything. In other words, my expectation for myself was, I'm going to show up, I'm going to be fully present, I'm going to be as genuinely curious And again, the word curiosity, it's really powerful. It's really powerful in coaching, but I think it's really powerful in life in general. Think of being curious like a little child, maybe someone, a child that's, I don't know, four, five, six, they got questions about everything and they're naturally curious about things. And I think that as we get older, we lose that natural ability to apply that same level of curiosity to other people. But I promise you this can be applied to just about anything. And some of like the most powerful coaching sessions I've had with people and that I've had with coaches myself comes when the other person is just deeply curious about something that can seem just really simple. They'll be curious. Set that as an intention or or something that you want to do. And again, not going in with kind of this this fixed outcome of this event is only a success if I land some sort of business. Again, because I think it taints, people pick up on that. Oh, this person's, they're just hustling to get business and they kind of are interested in me, but they're ultimately more interested in getting business. Here's one of my favorite ones. This is not mine. This is something that I got from another person that's been super helpful. Commit to something. Set some, set some success criteria. I may have mentioned this before. I think it's worth mentioning again. Decide that no matter how awkward or how much you hate it, you are going to stay for a certain amount of time. You may say, okay, I'm going to this event. I really don't want to go to it. I know it would be good for me. I know I might be able to help some other people. I know it could be helpful for my business. And I am going to go for, I've done this for, you know, for events are just like, whoa, who knows what this thing's going to be. Maybe you're anxious about it or you're, you're assuming it's going to be awkward or whatever. I like to set a time limit. 
I'm going to go to this event for 20 minutes. Doesn't matter how awkward it is. It doesn't matter how painful it is. Doesn't matter if I'm that one person standing around like they don't know anyone at the party. I'm going to do that. I'm going to lean into it and I'm going to do it for 20 minutes and it's not going to kill me. I'm going to live to tell about it. A couple things. Time limit. So I'll set a time limit. And then I'll also set a goal. I have to introduce myself to five people, three people, 10 people, like whatever fits your situation, whatever's a little bit outside of maybe the comfort zone of what you would normally do. And, you know, that's kind of specific for each person. Yeah, set some goals and then you can like go to that event, be fully present at it according to the, you know, the goals and the 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 limits or standards or whatever you want to call it that you've set. And then you can leave with confidence knowing, okay, I went what I went to do. And maybe another goal is I'm going to be as curious as I can possibly be about whoever I introduce myself to or whoever introduces himself to me and just see where it goes. Play with it. Another important aspect of curiosity is notice where your mind is going. Are you thinking about yourself? Are you thinking about other people in the room? then you're probably not totally zeroed in on the person you're talking to. And the level of your curiosity is probably not going to go as deep as it could if your whole being is focused on them and being just deeply curious about who they are and how they see the world and what makes them tick, what makes them excited, what, what they're all about. It's a muscle. And my experience is the more that you do this over time, the more comfortable it gets. If this is something you don't like to do or it doesn't fit, you know, maybe you're more introverted than extroverted. I do believe this is something that we can get better at. One idea for overcoming this awkwardness, particularly if you're in a place where you don't know anyone or you're not sure how to get started. I'm stealing this from Vanessa Van Edwards. She's a local here to Portland, Oregon as well. She has a book on uh, body language and (laughs) I think she refers to herself as a recovering socially awkward person or something like that. Anyway, she has a whole bunch of, I've heard her on several podcasts. I have not read her book, but I've heard good things about it. Anyway, her recommendation is to stand at the end of the food or drink line. So... A natural thing that people do when they come to an event, if they don't know anyone, is to get busy, you know, do something so you're not that, so you don't feel awkward. So people will, you know, naturally go to the bar and get a drink. They'll get in the food line to get some food. And once they've accomplished that mission, their next mission will be, okay, I got to talk to someone here. Who's it going to be? Well, if you have that same problem and you're standing at the end of the, the bar or the drink line, or the, or the uh, food line, it's kind of a natural place to run into people and start talking to people. This happened to me at a conference a couple of years ago, totally on accident, and it totally worked. It worked It worked in a very surprising way. I didn't, hadn't planned it, but I can definitely say it works. And if that's not working, again, my challenge, I did this at an event, I, did, I lived to tell about it, <laughs> Stand in the space with confidence. Just stand there. Just be there. Just be that person that has nobody to talk to. 
and just fully own that space. Sometimes it completely stinks. But again, embrace the awkwardness. Fully stand in that space. My hunch, I'm willing to bet. I think I'd love to hear if you try this and it works. Um, eventually, it may seem like eternity, but eventually you will find someone to talk to. And if you're not finding someone to talk to, I've also taken the approach of just kind of moving into a smaller circle of people. Maybe it's one or two people that are talking. Again, Vanessa has, she talks about this, how people's bodies are positioned uh, in terms of like whether they're open to more people in the conversation or whether they're not. Um, I believe it was uh, people kind of facing not at each, directly at each other, but at an, like at an angle. So they're kind of open. I have moved into some conversations like that where, you know, just kind of ease your way in and listen for a little bit. And then maybe one of them will introduce themselves to you or you introduce yourself to them. On a very tactical level, don't be lame and not bring business cards. Okay. <laughs> this just surprises me all the time when I've gone to... Yeah, I've gone to a very specific networking event called Magnet here in Portland, which is fantastic, actually. It's um, it's not your normal networking event, which makes it really cool. The The gist of the event is that each person um, posts, you do this ahead of time, but you post a question or a problem that you're trying to solve ahead of time. They put it on a piece of paper, and then they post these things around the room, and then your goal once you get to the event is to walk around the room and find questions or problems that you can help solve or that you know other people that can help solve. And they're numbered and there's this little post-it system so that you can link up you yourself with the person that has the question or problem. And I met some really great people at this event and I would say half to more of the people I talked to that I was interested in them. And I was like, wow, this person, this person could actually, you know, maybe they could help me with something or, um, and again, it wasn't that they were like, Hey John, um, do you have this problem? Can I solve it for you? It was more just a natural course of conversation. Uh, maybe it was marketing or I can't remember what it was, but anyway, there were a couple situations where I said, wow, I really enjoyed talking to you. And I really did. I wasn't making it up. It's like, do you have a card? Cause I think cards there's something about a card that's nicer than, you know, taking out your phone and saying, you know, can I add you to my contacts, which they just get lost in your contacts. There's something about a physical card. So, so nothing, yeah, in my opinion, nothing is lamer than, you know, oh, could I have one of your cards and write on it or <laughs> just get cards. They're not very expensive and you can get some really good looking cards for not a lot of money. If you're there for some type of day job function, a lot of times, you know, you can get business cards through your company. If it's a side hustle or if it's some, so like me, I've several years I've been going to podcasting conferences. So I got some, I had some cards made that just say, you know, um, actually these are really old cards. I think they just say consultant on it and I have a, my personal email and a phone number. It's something to hand out. And then more recently I've had cards made that say, uh, you know, professional coach, but I need, that's a whole nother topic, uh, in terms of what the title is, but it also says professional coach and podcast producer. Cause I do both of those things. Vista print, 
super cheap. I think ten, fifteen, twenty dollars. Um, also, Moo cards. I like Moo cards because they're they're kind of an unusual shape. They use thicker paper. I think I got fifty cards for thirty bucks or fifteen. But I don't know. They're having a sale or no? They're having a sale or something. I think I got fifty really nice cards for fifteen or twenty bucks. So and I always carry them. There's also so if you're if you're in the side hustle space or you're you're kind of working on your own little thing in addition to the day job, there's a psychological boost and a clarity that comes from creating these cards. I don't know what it is, but there's something cool about having a card that says, yeah, I'm a podcast producer. And it has, I don't know, it's it's sustained me in a way that that just says, yeah, I do this other thing during the day and I also do this other thing at night and I'm interested in this other thing by night and I'm good at it. If you have some type of side hustle or something, I would not worry about the look or the cheapness of the card. Have a card. Have some business cards. Have something to leave with people if they want to know more about you. But again, I don't recommend leading with the card. Like nothing is more disgusting than, like I said at the beginning, someone introducing themselves and immediately handing you their card. I typically wait for people to ask for my card. Not very many people do. Uh, I was in a situation, though, recently where I was looking at new office space and I handed the person my card just as a follow-up, just as a, hey, I'm interested in this space. When you have more information as to what's going to really happen, uh, here's how to reach me. And on my card, it says, you know, coach and podcast producer, and they were interested in podcasting and we had a great conversation about it. I'm not sure that I'm recommending that you have two things. Many people are encouraging me, hey, you've got a niche down, you got to have one thing. Um, again, who know, I don't know. That's a topic for another time. Have business cards. Don't be lame. So back to the softer side of this whole thing of networking. I think the best way to get into this, you know, again, I think it can be both. I think it can be, hey, I'm interested in you as a person and I'm interested in what you're interested in, and maybe it's your work. But yeah, I'm, I've always kind of interested in this idea of how could I strike up a conversation with someone that doesn't involve what do you do? Now, I will completely be totally transparent. So I will confess that I totally failed at this recently. I was at a friend's Christmas party who happens to be in law enforcement, and there were a lot of other policemen there and their wives. And uh, we were standing around and this one policeman's wife was standing next to me. So it was kind of the natural situation that I would, you know, talk to her and not to him. And I didn't end up really talking to her because I didn't want to lead with, so what do you do? And I couldn't think of anything better. This is a work in progress for me too, but hopefully some of the things I'll riff on here will give you some ideas. And if you have ideas of how you start conversations with other people or take the conversation to that deeper level, I'd be curious how you do it too. An interesting way I saw this play out, which did not <laughs> did not work with this police officer's wife um, that I saw in my coach training was in the very first class on the very first day, 
we didn't introduce ourselves in terms of what we did. The first, one of the first exercises was an exercise where you mingled the room. I think you, you introduced yourself, you know, your name, and then you asked the other person, what are your dreams? Like, what do you dream about doing? Now, yeah, that would have been a little freaky to, <laughs> in front of all these people, turn to this guy's wife and say, well, so what do you dream about? What are your dreams? The interesting part of this whole thing was in asking this question to each person that was at this training. Now, granted, this training was somewhat self-selecting in that coaches are, you know, typically interested in like personal development and personal awareness and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the people that were there had very clear dreams and they were there for a very specific reason to kind of push those dreams forward. What was interesting about this question though, was as you talk to each person, each person just completely lit up lit. I mean, just, they were just fully excited and alive about this is that thing that I dream of doing someday. You know, whether it was start a particular business for, uh, empowering women or, um, creating a business that helps people get on their feet or do different things or, or whatever the case might be. So it was really, that's where it, like this idea came alive for me. My encouragement, I guess, would be to push into that area, uh, when the time is right. In hindsight, I should have just asked this person, so what do you do? as a way to get the conversation started, I think that would have been totally fine. But I was all hung up on my mind of like, oh, I can't, I can't ask them what they do because, you know, that's not how I connect with people. I think I was silly and too black and white. So here are some other ideas on how to kind of break the ice or, or ways to, to kind of look at this. Again, as you pursue these things and talk about these things, you're going to find out about like what they do and what they're interested in. And you know, if, if the conversation is reciprocal, the other person's going to find out about that about you. In fact, just a total tangent on this before I get to that. Uh, I was at a networking event about a year ago and was talking to someone from a chamber of commerce. And, uh, I, they asked me what I was up to. And I said, you know, I was doing this training around coaching and I was just loving it. And, um, and I, just then started riffing on what I was excited about and what I was moved by. And what it happened to be is I'd happened to read a recent article um, by Brad Feld, who's a venture capitalist, about work coaching and, and entrepreneurial programs in prisons. And so I asked this person... <laughs> I said, hey, I said, you know, I'm really interested in coaching, doing this stuff. Do you know any people locally that do work in prisons? And he was like, yeah, I, actually, I do. I, I, I need to introduce you to this one person. Um, I think she's looking for more coaches. So come full circle, a year later, some contact off and on, I went and observed. I'm now a coach in this program. And so every other week, I go to this prison and do coaching for people that are in this um, entrepreneurial program that are looking to create businesses and land on their feet when they get out. It would have never happened if I hadn't shared this thing that I was passionate about and then asked them, hey, do you know anyone that's in this space that does the same thing? So that's one way to get started. 
in terms of trying to dig into the other person, it's, curiosity is, I really believe, kind of the key here. So, you know, what makes this person tick? What are they excited about? Uh, asking them, you know, what are, do you have any hobbies or side projects? Or uh, so you find out what they do, but then you say, okay, um, so what do you like to do when you're not at work? Or what's <laughs> some of these sound like life coaching questions. So, you know, tweak them, but you know, what do you like, what would you do if, if money was not an option or what's your perfect day or are even as vague as, so what are you up to? What are you up to? What do you like to do? What gets you excited or what are you passionate about? And again, the encouragement here is to follow the flow of the energy of this other person versus collect data. So if someone was to ask me, or so, so say I met someone that was a project manager. If I go down this path, we're just collecting data. So how many projects do you manage? Oh, how many people? How big is your company? But if you push it more in the direction of, what do you like about that? I think of project management as horribly boring. Like, what, what is it that excites you about managing projects? Or what do, you, what do you find is like the most challenging part of managing projects? Or, wow, you know, I managed a project once and it was just so frustrating and so hard. How do you, what, what have you found are the ways to make it easy? Or maybe you meet that person that's just like, yeah, I do this job and I absolutely hate it and I wish I could do something else, but, you know, there's just no way that I could and... <laughs> So that's when I like to, well, okay, so if money was not an option, what would you do? I'd like to ask someone this question at a WordPress event I went to several months ago. And we were just talking about random things and they were talking about their job. And and and, and so I asked it in a way that just said, hey, well, you know, if, if money wasn't an option or wasn't like part of the equation, what do you think you'd do? And they came with this, this answer and this thing they'd want to do that was actually in the space I knew about. It's related to podcasting. And so I was able to give them some ideas and some suggestions. And I don't know if they did anything with them. It turned out we were both kind of following the same person in the same space. And it led to a whole different conversation. So just being curious. I just can't say enough about curiosity. And also realizing that sometimes it's not going to work. Sometimes it's going to flop. And uh, think of it as an experiment, a learning, a growing experience. Also be on the lookout for like, what are people hungry for? What are they looking for more of in their lives? I came across this idea, which I think is a really powerful one in a book titled Play Your Bigger Game by Rick Tamlin. I thought there were some subtle, maybe stretching, reachy tie-ins, but I also thought this section was so good I wanted to read it. So page 59, The Hunger Inside. Laura Whitworth, my co-founder of The Bigger Game, this is Rick Tamlin writing, used to say that far too many people live with their hunger dials turned down. That's not a problem for natural-born bigger game players who use their hunger to create lives that fulfill them. The spiritual writer Thomas Merton wrote, If you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I am living for. In detail, ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. 
and continue reading here. I work with clients who have purposely repressed or ignored their hunger pangs because they were locked into a comfort zone that kept them from living fully. Others have admitted to simply being afraid to see where their hunger might lead them. Often people allow this to happen to avoid feeling disappointed. It strikes me as strange that we can live with other emotions like sadness and fear, but most avoid disappointment at all costs. We really don't like to go there. Maybe it's the fact that disappointment is an emotion that rests squarely on the individual who is feeling it. You can't blame anyone else. It's internal. The connection to the hunger square. So he's talking about his, so this book is called The Bigger Game, but then he has a a game around um, living a bigger game. So the connection to the hunger square here is that those who squelch their hunger often do so to avoid disappointment. I thought that was really interesting. How many things have you stopped doing or not doing or avoided because you didn't want to be disappointed or you didn't want to disappoint someone else? Continuing on. The rationale seems to be that if we don't want much, we won't be disappointed. Whenever I say that in a speech, workshop, or seminar, I can hear people gasp in acknowledgement. The oxygen seems to leave the room for a moment. I once had a woman in the audience of a thousand people relate to this so intensely that she cried out, you just explained my whole life. In my surprise, I blurted out, is that a good thing? The woman realized that she hadn't allowed herself to want much from her life because she didn't want to be disappointed. That realization proved to be a cathartic moment for her. She vowed to rekindle her hunger for a better and more fulfilling existence. The other thing that jumped out at me around uh, disappointment is the notion of ownership, which is, if you follow me for any length of time, a, a really a big thing for me. Ownership, uh, kind of at the opposite extreme, victimhood. So, um, and and victimhood often being in the context of blame, like it's someone else's fault. And so I, I, I thought I don't know. It just kind of jumped out at me this whole idea of disappointment. When we are afraid of being disappointed, uh, it lives with us. Now, as I guess I think about that more, I think that can go in other directions. And if we're practiced at blaming other people <laughs> and not being owners, there's probably some some pretty sneaky ways that we could easily flip that around to be someone else's problem. Taking this idea of hunger, being on the lookout for like, what are people looking for more of in their life? Or what you know, what makes them tick? What are they excited about? Um, what are they passionate about or what do they want more of? I think all of us want more of something in our lives. So just to bring this full circle. So I spent a lot of time talking about networking and how to do it well and how to make it better if you don't really like it. But to get back to Laura's original question about really valuing people for who they are, versus looking at them as a way of benefiting or getting business or however you want to look at it. I really, again, believe that it can genuinely be both. If you're genuinely concerned about someone or genuinely interested in other people, then some of the things I've suggested here I think can work fairly well as you really get to know them. And as you're getting to know them, I think it's perfectly okay, and it could be even a loving, thoughtful thing to do, which is to say, oh, 
I could help you with that. I happen to have a business around that. That's the kind of stuff I do. Or I think this happens a lot too. Oh, okay. So you're really interested in this thing. You'd really like to do more of it, or you need someone to help you with it. I know someone that could help you. I'll make an introduction. So I see a win there too. So I think this all comes down to mindset. Are you going into the event with the sole goal of spraying your business cards far and wide and hoping that the, you know, the odds are in your favor in terms of the percentage of people that respond to that? Or are you going to the event with the attitude of, oh, we'll see who I meet here. Maybe there's someone that I can help. Maybe there's someone that can help me. Maybe it's a, maybe it's both, you know, maybe it's a, a win-win for both parties. So I think if you're going in with that attitude, you're fine. If you're going in with the attitude of like, who, who can I make a few bucks off of here? People are going to smell that a mile away and they're not going to want to spend much time talking to you anyway. So there you go. That's what I think about networking, treating people with uh, dignity, respect, curiosity, and on this topic of, you know, playing your bigger game, Rick Tamlin's book, I'm always on the lookout for, you know, doing that work with other people. So if something in this episode sparked your interest or you want to go deeper on some of these subjects, I'd love to hear from you. You know, what are your thoughts on this? Or if you want to do some work around this, we can totally explore that too. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. If you have questions or ideas around the podcast, send those to podcast at johnpolster.com. 